Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, as we have just heard, uh, you say your word uh, will help us trust our Lord Jesus for salvation, for eternal life, and that through its teaching, rebuke, correction and training, uh, we will be equipped to do every good work in his service. Our Father, we pray now through your spirit that your word would do its work in all our lives. Pray that you would help me to teach your word truthfully and clearly and you would give us all understanding of your word and conviction of its truth so that we would live as the followers of the Lord Jesus he has called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It might strike an observer odd, uh, perhaps strike you as odd, uh, that in the midst of a COVID pandemic on a weekend where we're remembering 9-11 and the destruction of the Twin Towers, that is, where there are pressing present issues to occupy our minds with, it might strike you as odd that we spend our time looking at what someone, Paul, wrote to his younger colleague and friend Timothy almost 2,000 years ago. It's always worth remembering the weirdness of what we do week by week so that we can remember why we do it, Uh, why we think this is what we ought to be giving our attention to on a Sunday evening. You see, the reason uh, why we ought to be doing it is actually found in what we heard tonight and have heard in the preceding weeks from 2 Timothy. Here, in a world that is challenging, a world where much is not right, we can actually learn what we need to do to have life, the life and immortality the gospel of Jesus promises to all who repent and put their trust in him, the living Jesus risen from the dead, God's promised ruler of the world. And that life in a world where all die is worth more than all and definitely worth an hour on a Sunday evening. And here, as we'll see tonight, in Paul's instruction to Timothy about how he can continue faithful after Paul's departure, we learn how we too can persevere in our challenging world as faithful followers of Jesus persevere with the work he has entrusted to us, the work of making disciples of all nations. And, of course, here we pause to listen to a word which is unlike any other, a word given by the living God that is active to do his work in the world and in his people. You see, Timothy's world, like ours, presented a lot of challenges to that perseverance in being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Timothy, like us, was living in the last days when people would love themselves, love money, love pleasure instead of God, with all the consequences for the society that rebellion against God brings. Conflict, inequality, the destruction of relationships. Oh, and like us, Timothy also had to face false brethren who had all the appearance of being followers of Jesus but none of the spirit-empowered reality and false teachers peddling their speculations for profit. 
Oh, and Timothy faced those who would oppose his ministry and others who had become contentiously preoccupied with the unimportant and marginal, just as we do. Oh, yes, and Timothy also knew better than us the reality of suffering and the challenge to be hardworking and self-denying in the service of Jesus. And as we see in 2 Timothy, to all this would soon be joined the grief of soon losing his friend and mentor, the Apostle Paul. As the years after Paul's departure went by, in a challenging world, What does Paul say will keep Timothy faithful to the task entrusted to him, of being unashamed of the gospel, of guarding its truth and passing it on to others who would in turn teach and preserve the message of Jesus? What would stop Timothy from being carried away by popular error, overwhelmed by opposition, withdrawing in resigned defeat, giving up in the face of suffering? Where in Paul's absence... Does Paul direct Timothy to find continuing help, guidance and renewal? And as we're thinking about that, what will keep us unashamed of the gospel of Jesus, faithful to its truth and committed to making disciples? What will stop us from being carried away by popular error, overwhelmed by opposition, withdrawing in resigned defeat and giving up in the face of suffering? Where, in a world where the apostles are long gone, will we find find continuing encouragement, guidance and help to live as followers of Jesus and come to the eternal life he has promised us? What will help us become people who can bring a word of comfort or encouragement to the weary and discouraged, who can persevere in doing good, who can give a defence for our hope, who can live a self-denying life in an indulgent culture. What will do that for us? Well, Paul says that for Timothy and for us, the answer to going on in the gospel year after year, going on after he is gone, is staying put. But as for you, he writes, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. The word translated continue has the sense of remain, abide. In the face of the challenges he faces, Timothy is to remain, to stay put in what he has learned and firmly believed. Just as a tree planted by water grows and remains faithful by staying rooted where it is, so Timothy will grow and stay fruitful by staying put in the truth he has learned and believed. You see, Timothy's not a newcomer to the faith. He's been working with Paul for at least 15 years by now. He's had time to test what he's heard, to test it intellectually, to test it practically. He has lived the Christian life, relied on the promises. He knows its truth and is convinced of them. And this is what he has to stick with. More He's seen it tested in the lives of those from whom he learned it. Their faithfulness, love and endurance have also commended what he's learned. But who are they? And what in particular does Paul have in mind when he speaks of what Timothy has learned? In this passage, the answer to those questions are intertwined. Those who have taught Timothy are Paul, 
but also his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois who have taught him the scriptures from childhood. And Paul, in referring to what Timothy has learned from them, has in mind first what Timothy has learned from Paul about Christian ministry and life that Paul talks about in verses 10 to 13. And secondly, verse 15, what Timothy has learned from all three and probably others about the fulfilment of the Old Testament's promise of salvation in the Lord Jesus. But you, writes Paul, have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. What can Paul confidently say Timothy has learned from him and must continue in? Well, in contrast to the false teachers and pseudo-believers of verses 5 to 9, Timothy knows and is committed to Paul's pattern of teaching, life and ministry. You have followed. And that's not follow as you might follow a footy team, a spectator with an emotional investment in your team's ups and downs. Now, the sense of follow here is understood and committed yourself to It's more like the following of a player who understands and puts into practice the coach's instruction. Timothy has made his own, Paul's teaching, his conduct and his purpose. Paul can in these few words summarise his whole life and ministry because Timothy was so intimately familiar with Paul's ministry. He knew Paul's teaching. Timothy's actually listed as a co-author of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and his letter to the Philippians, Colossians and Thessalonians. In many contexts, he's actually been entrusted with explaining, defending and applying that teaching. And Timothy had had ample opportunity over the years to examine closely Paul's conduct. Paul could say that Timothy had served with him like a son with a father in the gospel. Timothy had seen Paul, say, become all things to all people, to by all means save some. Paul putting the interests of others ahead of his own, acting transparently in the collection and handling of money, working with his hands so as not to burden others while he was teaching them. Oh, he's seen his modelling of the truth that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Timothy knew Paul's purpose, that Paul lived to please the Lord Jesus, that in Paul's words to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, that Paul considered his life no value to himself, that his purpose was to finish his course and the ministry he received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Timothy knew Paul's purpose. And Timothy had been committed to a ministry like Paul's that was the very opposite of the self-seeking and the grasping for money that characterised the false teachers Paul has been talking about. And Timothy was also committed to the godly character Paul modelled, to the same faith, a life of trusting God shown in faithfulness to God, the same patience in dealing with others, especially believers, the same love seen over and over again in Paul's service of believers, his giving of himself, expending himself, suffering for their benefit. The faith and patience and love Paul has already called on Timothy to show in his ministry. 
And Timothy also knew Paul's endurance, his steadfastness under trial. Timothy knew that a genuine servant of Jesus, in a genuine servant of Jesus, there could be no separation of doctrine from godly living, and he was committed to that. Timothy had to continue in what he had learnt and had firmly believed. But there's more here, isn't there? Paul explicitly mentions his persecution and suffering. In fact, he highlights what happened to him at the very beginning of his missionary journeys in Asia Minor, in the cities of Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. That's the area Timothy came from, grew up in. So Timothy knew the concerted opposition Paul had faced in that area, how he'd been driven out from Antioch, that they tried to stone him in Iconium and that his opponents had stoned him and left him for dead in Lystra. He knew that. And Paul highlights this persecution and suffering to remind Timothy that opposition to and suffering for the gospel are there from the beginning, not an anomaly, not exceptional. I want to remind him that persevering through this opposition, as Timothy had seen, was the prelude to and condition of great fruitfulness, the fruitful ministry Paul had known and Timothy had shared in, in Asia and Greece. And Paul also highlights the persecution to encourage him. From them all the Lord rescued me. The Lord who had called Paul to ministry did not keep Paul from trial, but he rescued him, delivered him out of trial. Paul's saying to Timothy, you can rely on the Lord. And even at the end, Paul continued confident that the Lord would still rescue him, rescue him and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul's reassuring Timothy and us that we can serve the Lord knowing no opposition will stop our Lord from keeping us, keeping his word to us, fulfilling his purpose in and for us. And we need that encouragement for believers, says St Paul, should expect persecution. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The godly life is the life of all those committed to living Jesus' way, who live in the space of allegiance to Jesus. It's the life of genuine believers, disciples, who will do all that Jesus teaches. Our Lord, remember, taught his followers often to expect persecution. One example, John 15, If the world hates you, said Jesus to his followers, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If we're going to persevere in following Jesus in teaching his word, we should expect persecution. Oh, yes, it's intensity may vary from mocking and exclusion to active opposition to imprisonment to worse. Oh, and it might vary from time to time and place to place. But we should expect it and not be shaken by it. And Paul reminds Timothy of this because... The life the false teachers seek and praise will be different. They'll advance in the world 
be seen to be making progress, gaining a following and influence, and it can be easy to be discouraged by their acceptance and often their easy material success. Being of the world, the world would love them, at least for a while. But Timothy, but Paul says their advance is only in their error. They advance from bad to worse. In their seeking the approval of men, not God, they'll sink deeper and deeper into error, go further and further away from God. Timothy will be equipped to persevere unashamed by remaining in what he has learnt from Paul, his life and teaching, his ministry, his godly character, his endurance is suffering in suffering. And think about it, it is so good, isn't it, for Timothy to have such a model. Paul who shared not just words but his life so that Timothy could see and test, become convinced of what he was taught. And it's a blessing to us if we have someone like that who shares their faith and life with us in the service of Jesus. But it is even better if by God's grace we can be that person for another. But Paul will soon depart this world. And so he reminds Timothy that he has not just learned from him. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy has had other teachers from the uh, from his earliest days, those like his mother and grandmother who had taught him the scriptures in his childhood. And through their teaching and through the teaching of Paul, the sacred writings, which for Timothy and other Greek-speaking Jews was the term for our Old Testament, through their teaching, the scriptures themselves had become a more abiding teacher in Timothy's life, present before Paul and able to continue after Paul. But Paul's not just directing Timothy to the Old Testament on its own here. It's the sacred scriptures that are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus. Paul is directing Timothy to continue in the teaching of the Old Testament, read in the light of its fulfilment in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The Old Testament points us to faith in Jesus, but it does more. When we read it with faith in Jesus, as completed in the gospel, it does more. As you read the Old Testament through the lens of faith in Jesus, it will teach you what it means to be saved through faith in Jesus. It will give you the nature and the content of that salvation. And it will teach you the significance of Jesus, the significance of his person and work. It will help you see him as as the one in whom God's saving purposes reach their climax, the prophet, priest and king or shadowed through Israel's history. Wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus tells us these verses are speaking of the Old Testament as always associated with the gospel. The scripture's good effect in the lives of believers, the Old Testament's good effect, is never divorced from the gospel. And so what is said of the one here embraces is true of the other both the Old and the New Testament. This reading of the scriptures through faith in Jesus as pointing to Jesus and fulfilled in him actually starts with Jesus. As our Lord said to the Pharisees 
you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. Oh, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. And then the risen Jesus opened up the minds of his followers to the scriptures teaching, the Old Testament's teaching in the law, the prophets, the Psalms about him. He said, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The scriptures speak of Jesus and it be understood through faith in Jesus. In fact, throughout Paul's letters, he shows us, he, he models how the Old Testament helps us to understand salvation brought by Jesus. You could test that for yourself, reading Romans or Corinth, any of these letters actually. But if you want one example, just look at Galatians 3 where Paul quotes Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Quotes Genesis to show that salvation is by faith in Jesus in the promise and not by works of the law. Timothy has learnt and firmly believed that this is the way to read the Old Testament with Jesus as the fulfilment of its promise. And Paul says Timothy is to continue in what he has learnt from the scriptures about Jesus. The scriptures he has known and whose truth he has had confirmed throughout his life. Paul will depart, but this teacher stays with him. And this teacher will continue to equip him to persevere faithfully, continue to teach him how to follow Jesus in all the situations he will encounter. For the scripture's ability to make us wise for salvation is not accidental. It's the expression of God's purpose for God's word, a purpose which continues. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy and us here that the scripture will be our abiding instructor. Now these are important verses and they take a bit of unpacking. The scripture referred to here is the Old Testament, a known body of books, of written works. This word translated scripture here occurs about 42 times in the New Testament and in every other instance, in the singular or plural, it refers to our Old Testament. But we should not confine what is said here about God's word to the Old Testament for, as verse 15 tells us, Paul is thinking of the Old Testament as fulfilled in the gospel, of achieving its purpose only in association with the gospel. The gospel word, the writings of the apostle, share the character and origin of the word they fulfil. They're given by the Spirit so that what is said here applies equally to both the Old and the New Testament. And you'll come across varying translations at the beginning of verse 16. The majority, CSB, NRSV, NIV, ESV, will read all Scripture. That is, what Paul says about the Scripture, he is saying about Scripture in its entirety, all Scripture. Others, like the Net, the New English Translation, translate every Scripture is inspired by God. And that's saying basically the same thing, but 
emphasising that every part of the scripture is inspired by God, that nothing in scripture is not inspired. But then you might come across translations like the Revised English Bible, the descendant of the New English Bible, which translates the beginning of the verse as all inspired scripture has its use for teaching. Now, sadly, that's a potentially misleading translation in that it could suggest that there are in Paul's mind some scripture that's not inspired and that Paul is giving us a test here to show which scripture is inspired and which is not. That which we find useful we can know to be inspired, but if it's not useful or we can't work out its usefulness, then we don't need to think about it as inspired scripture. That's not helpful and it's not the most likely translation of the Greek. Further, it goes against the flow of the passage. Paul is assuring Timothy of the source of the scriptures and therefore the source of their ongoing usefulness of something known and defined, the scriptures. He's not giving us a test to discern scripture. So Paul in these verses is talking of all scripture and scripture in every part. It is all inspired. And by inspired, Paul's affirming something about this written word. Inspired by God's the traditional English interpretation, translation, and it does communicate that the scriptures originate with God, that they come from his initiative. But the NIV has a more literal translation of a word uh, that it looks like Paul coined, this word theopneustos. It translates this as God breathed. And this is a better translation. You see, by the word inspired, you could think that Paul is saying something about the work of God in the human authors. But Paul is actually saying something about the product, the written scriptures themselves. He's affirming that they come to us, as it were, on the breath of God, breathed out by him. He's not talking about the process at all, but the outcome of the process. You can find a little more on the process in 2 Peter 1. But here Paul is saying that all scripture comes from God. It is his word given by him to us. And as God's word, it will fulfill his purpose in the lives of his people. The scriptures will be profitable and continue to be profitable, useful in equipping Jesus' people for the service of Jesus as the scriptures do the work they are given to do, teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. Let's think for a moment of that work. The scripture says, Paul, will teach, they will teach us sound doctrine. In the scriptures we can learn the truth of God, of the Lord Jesus, of ourselves, of the future. Here we can find light in our darkness, be equipped to discern truth from error. And here we will learn of the life God wants for his people, learn how to love, learn what righteousness is. And the scriptures will do this with unique authority for they come from God. Coming from God, they'll then be the test of every claim about God and what pleases him. The scriptures teach. And having a unique authority, they can also rebuke us, confront our errors in life and doctrine and call us to repent, to change our minds, to conform to the truth God has revealed and to change our behaviour so that we turn away from sin, to do what God says pleases him. The scriptures will correct us. They'll improve our efforts, straighten out what's veering off course, 
improve what we're already doing so it conforms more closely to what God teaches in his word. Oh, and the scriptures will train us in righteousness. Through encouragement and exhortation, they'll keep us going and cultivating godly behaviour. The scriptures are, in a sense, our God-given coach to help us persevere and grow in persevering. Like, say, a swimming coach, they explain what needs to be done, then they come down on our laziness and our bad habits, and then they watch us in the water and, say, correct our breathing or stroke, and they keep us going at it, up and down the pool again and again until we perfect what they've taught us, and it becomes second nature. Scripture teaches, rebukes, corrects and trains in righteousness and the outcome in the lives of God's people, well, it's so that the person of God might be complete and the sense is proficient, capable, able to meet all demands, equipped, thoroughly equipped for what God tells us to do, calls us to do, equipped For the good works, Ephesians tell us God has prepared for us to do. For the works, Titus 2 tells us that Jesus expects his people to be eager to do, devoted to doing. For the works, our Lord says in Matthew, will bring glory to our heavenly Father. Now we're not told here what those good works may be for us, but we're assured that through the work of the scripture we will be prepared for them, whatever they may be. Scripture's preparation, you see, is comprehensive. It's for every good work. There's nothing God wants us to do that the Scriptures do not equip us for as they do their work in our lives. And the Scripture is our sufficient instructor. It can do all that needs to be done to equip us for a life pleasing to God, to know the truth of God. And we can be confident as we give ourselves to their instruction that they will do their work in our lives for they are the word of God and God has promised that his word will never fail of its purpose. Isaiah 55, God says his word will not return to him empty but will accomplish what he pleases and will prosper in what he sends it to do. Prosper for in what he sends it to do in our lives. And that's why you and I must diligently and humbly study the scriptures and discipline ourselves to distinguish the words of scripture from all other words, to distinguish the word of God from all human words. Now I want to emphasize that sufficiency. The scriptures uniquely from God are all we need to live a life pleasing to God and nothing can be demanded of God's people to be believed or done which is not taught in Scripture. Now, this conviction of the sufficiency of Scripture is the source of a great divide. Some, like the Roman Catholic Church, teach Scripture plus the teaching of the church is needed. They elevate the teaching of the church of people to be equal to the word of God. Their human traditions, whether about Mary or the Mass or the Pope, displace the word of God something Jesus condemns in Mark 7. And others will say you need scripture plus prophecy to live a really fruitful life and they create a dependency on charismatic leadership and elevate in the minds of the believer the doubtful and transient over the sure and eternal. 
and impoverished believers. But it says that scripture will prepare us for every good work. While we have to understand the word and help each other to do so, the scripture is uniquely God's word and it does not need supplementing by human words to do its works. And this was a truth the reformers grasped and is the source of Christian freedom. One great expression of it, you find another in the Westminster Confession of Faith in the outline, is in Article 6 of the Church of England. Holy Scripture, they write, contains all things necessary to salvation so that whatsoever is not read therein or may be proved thereby is not to be required of any man or woman that it should be believed as an article of the faith or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. The Scriptures are sufficient for us to trust and live to please our God. And what is promised of the God-breathed word is not promised of other words. And its authority is unique, which is why we must keep God's word distinct from unconfused with human words. Those who are on the Zoom uh, last week uh, would have heard me say uh, that I find study Bibles potentially dangerous. And I'd much rather the commentary was in a separate book to avoid the possibility of confusing the human word of the commentary with God's word in the text of Scripture. Oh, yeah, the commentary's helpful, but it's merely human words. Helpful like the teaching of those past and present gifted by God with understanding of his word that we receive in talks and books. Helpful like conversation with Christian friends over God's word, but not the word of God, and always to be tested against the word of God. In a world full of challenges to both Timothy and our persevering in faithfulness of life and teaching, in persevering in unashamedly sharing the gospel, how can we keep on, not carried away by popular error, overwhelmed by opposition, withdrawing in resigned defeat or giving up in the face of suffering? Well, like Timothy, it will be by staying in what we have learned and firmly believed. The teaching an example of Paul preserved for us in the New Testament. The teaching of the Old Testament scriptures as they're fulfilled in the gospel of our Lord Jesus taught to us in the New Testament. The teaching of the scriptures old and new, which we're assured will always be useful to prepare us for every challenge and opportunity that we'll encounter in our following and service of Jesus. The teaching of the scriptures which are uniquely God-breathed. We have those scriptures. We have them in our tongue. You might have them on your bookshelf. We have the extraordinary privilege of a word from the living God that we can understand, a word that will give us salvation and that can equip us for every challenge we will face in the Christian life. But, of course, the scriptures will only do us good if we attend to them, as we read them, as we listen to them taught, as we meditate on them. So if you want life, if you want to be a faithful and fruitful servant of Jesus, if you want to be a child of God who knows and lives to please her or his heavenly Father by doing the good works that honour him, you have to be a student of Scripture. 
So give yourself to the study of Scripture individually and together. Read them humbly, remembering what God says in Isaiah 66. This is the one to whom I'll look, I'll look favourably on, one who is humble and submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. The scriptures are the word of the living God, not a word for you to judge, but the word that will either judge you or give you life at the last day. When you are handling them, you are handling something that is holy, that belongs to God and which he will vindicate. No matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how often we've read the word, We should never stop trembling when we read or hear the scriptures. This is God addressing us. Oh, and we should read the scriptures expectantly, coming expecting that work, looking to be taught, rebuked, corrected and trained and asking God to do that for us as we read them. We should read them diligently, not as an afterthought, but passionately and persistently. So if you don't have it yet, get a way of reading them that works for you, a regular time of day, a regular pattern of reading. Now, I like to read whole books right through. Other people like to follow the Bible in a year calendar, a chapter, Old Testament, New Testament goes on. For some of you, it'll be reading the daily devotions. Whatever you do, Read them, get a pattern that works for you and never tire of reading them. And read them thoughtfully and in community, thoughtfully as a good reader of God's word because God's word comes to us in human words and so you have to ask the questions of the text that you ask of anything you read, who, what, when, where, why, what comes before, what comes after and you have to ponder what you read. And don't dismiss the teaching of Scripture if at first you don't understand what you read. Come back to it. Consult Christian friends, teachers, present and past and read it as it is, written in another time and place, written in another language and translated. But doing God's work today in the lives of his people because the Scriptures are written for us. That's right, written for believers in Jesus. Whatever was written in the past, says Paul, was written for our instruction. Oh, these things were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. These words are written for us. And yes, read it thankfully, as the psalmist said. Read it as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thankful because light in darkness is so good. It is safety and certainty as we travel on our way. And yes, read it, knowing the truth of Psalm 1, that the one who delights in God's word, who meditates on it day and night, is blessed by God and sustained in fruitfulness. Read God's word, given to us by God himself, God breathed. Read it and teach it where you may. Timothy didn't just learn the scriptures from Paul. Others, ordinary believers, like his mother and grandmother, taught him the scriptures. And we can also teach and should in our homes, to our families, Sunday school, youth group, reading it with each other. We should teach it 
so that others can be made wise for salvation through faith in Jesus and equipped for his service. Read, teach, but more. Pray that as you are equipped and changed by the word, you will, by God's grace, be a model for other believers so that one day you can commend the truth of the gospel by saying, remain in what you have learnt and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it. And you can say those words and know those words bring conviction and encouragement to that believer because they have seen the truth of God's word in you, in your life of giving yourself to do the good works that God's word prepares you to do. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray of your great mercy. We would not be heedless people, people who hear and forget, but move us now to be people who give themselves to the study of your word, who read it, who seek to understand it, who believe it, and who are in you, who in your mercy are taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained by it, so that we would be people who do the good that brings you honour and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.